We're in 1 John, or 1 John, as the Brits are like to say, 1171 uh, in my Bible. We're in chapter 2. We'll be looking through this uh, passage here. And uh, I've sort of uh, labeled this, uh, if you will, uh, what is kind of authentic Christian experience. But as I was thinking about that and what we are, I thought, anybody here today happy like me that football is back? Man, I I told Becky the other day, and and I'm going to make a point here. I'm not going to make a point. I I, I know what I'm doing here. Uh, Football's back, and I'm just thinking, I don't even care who's playing. I'm just going to watch them, you know. Uh, I'm going to watch them. Uh, And and it's an interesting thing uh, that I, I said to Becky that a few weeks ago, we were at a restaurant, and I just said, okay, we've hit the bottom of the sports world. Used to be bowling, right? <clears throat> Anybody with me? Used to be bowling when, 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 this, when you know, everything's off. But I saw this. You know what that is? That's the National Cornhole Association. <clears throat> okay? These guys... Look at it now. Look at it closely. Don't tr- look. Trust me. This is this is how bad it got. <clears throat> These guys have shirts on that have sponsors. <laughs> People are sponsoring this stuff. I'm sitting in a restaurant and I said to Becky, "It's over. It's over." <clears throat> I mean, you know, not bowling, not baseball. It's the National Cornhole Association Championship. Yeah, Mary Jane. What was that? Pizza throwing. Pizza throwing. Okay. <clears throat> well, the world has ended. And we didn't know it. Now, I say that because, say about football, there really is uh, in this, whoops, <clears throat> in this uh, time of year <clears throat> with football like that, one of the things that <clears throat> football season when it starts, and we're so happy about it, but you know, there's a huge business of fake jerseys and memorabilia in football. <clears throat> All kind. In fact, I read a report that said it's 184 billion point six business of fake stuff like fake. Here, here's a here's a fake jersey. They'd say the way you could tell is the way the five is. Uh, <clears throat> they put holograms on. Uh, 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 jerseys, they with hats and all kinds. So there are hats, there's, uh, if you will, there's uh, jerseys, there's all kinds of memorabilia, and it's a huge business. I read a report that the FBI shut down 2,500 websites that were selling uh, fake uh, memorabilia. And so, you know, we, we love football like that, but now we want to have a jersey or we want to have memorabilia that's real, but it's huge business. When, I, when I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, this is the kind of idea of, is it real or is it fake? Remember now, John, we're in 1 John, is trying to help people understand. This is what authentic looks like. This is what the Christian life looks like. And he's saying, I'm telling you this because I want you to know that you have eternal life. I want you to be able to know you got the real thing here. He says, these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13, that's the theme we've been working on. How would you know that you have the real thing? And so we've been working through that. Uh, And you'll notice, as we've uh, said before, 
that 1 John has a kind of a, a rhythm to it in a sense where in the first chapter and the second chapter it says that if someone says they have this but they don't do this, then they're a liar and the truth's not in them. If we say, over and over, if we say that we have fellowship with him but we hate our brother, the truth is not in us. If we say that we're walking in the light but we don't keep his commandments, we're not telling the truth. So John is in this kind of authentic thing here. What's fake? What's real? <clears throat> What's, uh, what is it that uh, is, is discernible as correct? And so overall, John is doing this work here to try to help us to understand this. And this is kind of the theme we've been working on, authentic. What's authentic? What's real? <clears throat> what's, what's true? And uh, John uh, works hard at this, I think, uh, uh, throughout this. So overall, <clears throat> uh, this idea of what is, is authentic and what is real. Now, our work started last time in chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 12. Now, if you want to listen to that, it's recorded, but I just want to touch it here from this standpoint. That John is saying, I'm writing this to you, little children, and then he has three different groups here. Three different groups. Little children whose sins are forgiven. Fathers who have come to know him. And we, call, we use that word participation. I think on your handout there, there are these already where it says A is forgiveness on your handout. You see that there? Yeah. <clears throat> that the, the little children phrase <clears throat> is saying, little children, I'm writing that you, because your sins are forgiven, and it says it again. And then it says, fathers, I'm writing to you because you've known him who's from the beginning. And we said <clears throat> that knowledge of God there, or knowledge, is participation. It's not just, I know there's an Eiffel Tower, you know. <clears throat> it's, it's the idea of knowing of participation, and you're going to listen to that, you can so, so we, we saw that. And then the last one here is young men. Now, I said last time, when you look at that, uh, that there cannot, in my judgment, there can't be a, a sequence of maturity here because it's out of order. You go from children to fathers to young men. That, that, that can't be a sequence of maturity. Some people would look at it and say, well, you know, if you're a little child, all you know about is the forgiveness of God. And if you're a father, you have this deep knowledge of God. And if you're a young man, you're able to overcome the evil one. Well, it's out of order. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. A second is that all of these characteristics ought to be what followers of Jesus have. Do, do, does everybody need to know they're forgiven? Do, does everybody need to know the father? Does everybody need to overcome the evil one? Well, yeah. So I told you that the only consistency in this passage, the only thing that is consistent throughout is that all of the verbs are in the perfect tense. All of them. Now the perfect tense means something has occurred in the past and continues. So he's saying you've been forgiven and you continue to be forgiven. You have known the Father and you continue to know. You have overcome the evil one and you continue to overcome. That's the only thing that's stable in that text. It causes uh, people all kinds of problems with that. So <clears throat> when we look at it, it can't be some of these things, but it can be, if you will, this matter, if you will, of the perfect tense in all the verbs. You have been forgiven and you continue to be forgiven. You've known and you continue to know. You've overcome and you continue. Now this is what I would suggest is called authentic Christian experience. You ever, you ever meet people and, and, you know, I used to quiz people or talk to them and they'd say, talk about their life with Jesus, but it was like 19 years ago. You know, 
Yeah, you know, I was in ministry. When? Oh, 22 years ago. What have you done lately? (laughs) This idea of authentic Christianity isn't just something that happened and started at some point, but what? Continues, continues. And so John seems to be suggesting this is that kind of authenticity or that authentic Christian experience. So we work through those two. Now, today, I'm way ahead of myself today, aren't I? Whew, I've got this up here. So, uh, So the idea of that the authentic Christian experience is forgiveness now and continuing, participation, that means knowing and knowing God and continuing, and then today, we're going to finish up there, if you will. Notice this, this last section in verse 13. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. Then he comes, drops back down. <clears throat> We've dealt with the children and the fathers. Then he drops back down in verse 14. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. So forgiveness is children, participation or knowing his father. Here's the one we want to look at today, victory. This has to do with the idea of the evil one. Notice here in 13, you've overcome the evil one. And in verse 14, you've overcome the evil one. Now let's look at that. The Greek word here is interesting. Uh, in uh, uh, overcoming, you may know this, the Greek word for overcoming is Nike. It's translated or it's vocalized Nike, but that's where Nike gets their idea. It means victory or overcoming. So the Greek term here is in that perfect tense that says you've overcome and you continue to overcome. It's the root word for victory and it bespeaks I like that word. Isn't that a good word? You can use that this week if you want to. It bespeaks. Makes you sound smarter than you are. This word, bespeaks, I wrote that. I didn't read that. I wrote that. Bespeaks, bespeaks the nature of authentic Christian experience in this standpoint. This notion, and I'm going to be as careful as I can here, but as faithful as I know how to be, speaks to the matter that the Christian life is a battle. Okay? We don't talk about that a lot, partly because you hear a lot of craziness about this. But this idea of you've overcome Nikkei is the idea of battle and victory. You've overcome the evil. Now, we're going to look at that. What does that mean? But I, I remember a quote by a guy named A.W. Tozer. Many of you probably have read him when he said this. And this authenticity here of overcoming the evil one, Tozer said like this. Most of us have to come to grips with the idea is whether life is a playground or a battleground. And most of us would suggest we want it to be a playground, right? Right. I talked to my students about this, that, that this idea. And when John says this here and in multiple places else, the suggestion here of victory or of battle or of struggle with something other than just the physical. Now, you know, what thoughts and opinions of this teacher are not necessarily thoughts and opinions across the community, churches, elders, or leadership. But I think it's interesting, and I, listen, I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. Try to figure that one out. <clears throat> don't hear what I'm not saying. <clears throat> um, I wonder, <clears throat> just wonder, 
I believe there is such thing as mental illness. I do believe that. I believe there's such things that are treatable and need to be dealt with. But I do believe there's a word that's fallen out of our lexicon that when we try to describe things that happen, like perhaps what happened in Odessa yesterday, that we don't think anymore that someone is evil. Okay? I just, I just want to pose that for you to consider. I mean, when we see people do bad things, we just maybe assume that the only explanation is mental illness. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm simply saying that I think in our Western technology culture that we think we can control everything. We think everything has an answer, if you will, of technology or some methodology or something. Now, let, let me tell you, as a pastor, when I was a pastor, I don't start there. You know, I, I don't start there. I don't assume that there's some evil force here. I, you know, I talk with people and work with them. I, I, I've got some diagnostic things I'll go through. But I've gotten there before. I've gotten there before. And so John is saying this. Listen, you've overcome the evil one. Um, and, and, I, and I just want us to consider this. You know, Lewis uh, wrote a book, C.S. Lewis, not Huey Lewis. He wrote some good songs. <clears throat> I like Huey Lewis. Hip to be square, I'm telling you. <clears throat> uh, when I think of Lewis, I think of Huey. Uh, yeah, you might want to leave right now. I mean, it's just, it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. Uh, see it when people come to me and talk about this because there's a lot of craziness, folks. Okay, I grew up with people that thought there was a devil in every doorknob. You know, <clears throat> I'm not there at all. I mean, I okay, calm down here. Um, you know, uh, probably the most helpful book to start with if you're interested in dealing with this issue, whether the world's a playground or a battleground, is C.S. Lewis's magisterial work called The Screw Tape Letters. Unbelievable. Just so wise, so helpful, keeps you away from extremes. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you have never, ever kind of dialed into this, that's where I would start. L listen to what Lewis writes here. <clears throat> now, uh, I want to call him Slugbug, but that's what we played when we saw Volkswagens when, <clears throat> I can't remember that guy's name, but Screw Tape is a junior devil. Going to be entrained. Uh, yeah, Wormwood and all those guys. So there are these letters and communications back and forth. So here it is. So the, the chief devil is given the junior devil insight. He said, our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. We are really faced with a cruel dilemma. When the humans believe in our existence, we lose all pleasing results of direct terrorism. When humans disbelieve in our existence then we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics. See, there's the struggle of, of, of too much. And, and, and I've said to my students, here's the idea. The problem with this topic is that some people focus too much on this, that everything's the devil fighting them, everything is a spiritual war. I tell my students, you know, a whole lot of this is you didn't go to sleep last night, <laughs> right? I mean, when students come to me and say they're depressed and feel far away from God, it's usually the eighth week of school. And I say to them, I'll talk to you about this, but you have to do a couple things for me. Number one, you have to sleep three nights in a row for 12 hours. 
You have to eat three balanced meals, and balanced doesn't mean you got equal cheese and chips on the other side of the plate. <laughs> okay? <clears throat> you, you got to eat some balanced meals. You got to rest for a couple of days, and then come talk to me. And let's see how things are. You know, there, there are people that put too much emphasis on this, and there are other people who don't put enough. Or don't at least consider is there a matter here? So <clears throat> the tense here that John gives, he says, you've overcome the evil one, you've over, and you continue to. Now look how, he, um, how he's doing this. Notice what he says. You've overcome the evil one. But down in verse 14, he says, I've written, because you have over, you're strong and the word of God abides in you, you've overcome the evil one. Now I want to give you a couple of verses here. <clears throat> We're going to work through that and get some details on this matter about being strong in the word. Um, I, I tell my students, and you know this, uh, in athletics, that mindset a lot of times is really important. You know, when, a, when an athlete or a team doesn't believe they can win, you know, it's usually they're not going to because their mindset has already kind of dialed them up. I was watching the ball game last night, and I was going to tell Becky, I think Auburn's going to win. She, said, she didn't ask me. I said, you know, because they believe they can win. They believe they can win. <clears throat> Do you know <clears throat> what the Bible tells us about this? If you've got just a moment, keep your hand there in 1 John and turn backwards. No, not you in the pages. <laughs> Please. I'm not a literalist. Some of y'all are looking at me like, what? No, don't you turn backwards. Turn backwards in your Bible. No, don't turn back. You can't turn backwards in your Bible. I don't know. Go to James. <clears throat> Go to the book of James. Uh, <clears throat> you just... As we kind of work this out, I think you need to be reminded of this, okay? Just, just think of it this way. <clears throat> when, <clears throat> when James in chapter 4, I'm going to jump in it because he's, talking about, he's writing about prayer and about our struggle. Verse 6, <clears throat> God gives greater grace. I remember somebody asked me one time, are there degrees of grace? And No, I said, yeah, there are. Yes, there are. He gives greater grace. To whom? The humble. You know why? The humble can receive it. They have capacity for it. The arrogant and proud don't need anything. The humble have capacity for more grace because they have openness to it. So he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. And that Greek word's a strong word because it means to get up and run. Look at that. We, you know, we want to we, we wanna be careful here to say, what does the Bible tell, tell me about this overcoming? Well, it says this. God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So therefore, submit yourself to God. Look at the verbs here. Submit to God. <clears throat> that Literally, the word submit is a military term. And the best way to explain it is this. Get in line. Where are you supposed to be in line? I'm right here. Yes, sir. You know, I took ROTC for like uh, four hours one time. <clears throat> I'm serious. I, I got to wear what? To high school? I, and we got to march where? I'm out. You know, 
But I remember doing I dress right dress. I remember that. You know, all that kind of stuff. Man, if you were out of line, you were in trouble, right? Submit means get in line where you're supposed to. You know, where we get in trouble in life, we get out of line. My dad used to say that a lot. Son, you're getting out of line here. You're not, you're not knowing your place here. So when it's, the, the verb is submit to God. And then what? Resist. Just say, nope, not doing that. Mm -mm. Resist, resist, resist. I'm going to resist the devil. And then he will run from you. You don't have to run from him. You just need to remember this. We, we're, we're not, we're not, we're not, I, I'm always one of my, you know, trick them, because that's part of my job. <clears throat> when I would say to them, okay, tell me what is the opposite of the devil. They say, well, God, have you read your Bible? <clears throat> no, the opposite of the devil is Michael. Think about that. He's an angel. This isn't a fair fight. <clears throat> this isn't a fair fight. The opposite of the devil is not God. The opposite of the devil is Michael. He's a created being. So when we say, when we have God on our side, when we say he gives me more grace and I submit my, I get in line here. I don't get out of line and act like a hammerhead here for a minute. I, I stay in line and resist the devil. He's going to run. You need to put the fleas, weird word, run, right? <clears throat> run. We need to remember this. Then back in 1 John, back in 1 John, <clears throat> just need to remember this <clears throat> as we think about this victory. Oh, I told Dick I was going to be finished today. <laughs> <clears throat> in 1 John 4, just need to remember this. 1 John 4, verse 4. You are from God, little children. And have overcame them. Now that, that of them is the Antichrist or the, those who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Why? Why are you able to overcome them? That's the Greek word again, Nikkei. Why are you able to overcome them? You got it in your Bible there? What does it say? Greater is he that's where? In you. Than he that's in the world. Now guys, we got to get our minds straight on this. I'm not, I'm not talking about some triumphalism where, you know, like I you know, read a book one time by a guy who said, honey, I shrunk the devil. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about being arrogant or silly. I am saying I need to get my mind straight on this. What does the Bible and Scripture promise me and tell me, right? Instead of giving in to the lie that I just have to give in, I just have to surrender. You know, I'm not that strong. I don't have that much ability. Uh, last one is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You ought to memorize it. I'm shocked when I get kids that come to college. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. <clears throat> I asked them, did your youth pastor teach you and have you memorized this before you came to college? No, I want his name. <laughs> or hers. I want their name. Why would you send a kid to college and not have them memorize 1 Corinthians 10, 13? You got it? Look at there. For the recording, I'll just go ahead and, I, you know, I memorized it. My problem is I memorized it in King James and ESV. My, I remember when I was a kid in Kilgore, Texas, my dad had a little box of Bible verses on the table, which when I saw it, I went, uh-oh. <laughs> 
So when we would have dinner, <clears throat> he would pull a Bible verse out and we got to memorize it until we didn't get to leave the table. This is one of them. When I was nine years old, there hath, this is King James, okay? There hath no temptation taken but such as common to man. And God is faithful and not allow you to be tempted more than ye are able, but with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Listen to that now. No temptation has happened to you that is not common to everybody else. This is, you're just in the good old stream of human beings. And God is faithful. To what? To not let you be tempted more than you're able. Now, I've had a couple conversations about that. Hey, have you got me mixed up with somebody else? <clears throat> you, know, have, you know, have you got me mixed up with the Pope? Or have you got me mixed up with Billy Graham? Because, man, this is way too much on me, right? Who says, no temptation has occurred to you that is not common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted more than you are able. But with the temptation, make a way of escape. That may mean you got to go. That you can bear up under. So, so this whole idea of overcoming the enemy, the evil one, is threaded throughout the scripture. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel... I'm trying to say, let's get our minds right here. Let's, let's quit buying into the lie of our culture and our world. Let's not bind to that lie. Hey, what, is, what does God tell me about this? About the victory that, that he's purchased and made for me? Doesn't mean we won't fail. I go back to 1 John 2. I write these things, you sin not, but if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It's just, so let's get our minds right. Let's get our minds right. You know, anyway, so, so this idea here of, of that. Now, John says, what? So back to 1 John. So in 1 John, when John says, you, you young men have overcome the evil one. Overcome the evil one. What is John referring to? I want to suggest two things that he's referring to. I had so many notes. I thought, I'm, you're, 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 uh, if, I, if I put this on your outline, or the, it's going to look like an electronics guide to your VCR. Because <laughs> a lot of stuff here. <clears throat> John, I think, is saying overcoming the evil one, and here's what it is, one of it. One of them is that you overcome the evil one's false teaching about Jesus. Over, uh, out, you'll see this more. Through 1 John, the argument is that Jesus really isn't God. That he really didn't come in the flesh. He'll say later in chapter 2, this is the spirit of Antichrist who denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Here's the spirit of Antichrist. It's already here. It's saying Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. He's really not God. So you've overcome the evil and the false teaching, but also you've overcome the evil one, if you will, in victory and power over sin. You've overcome. How? Notice what he said. How'd they do that? See that there at the end of verse 14? How'd they do that? Huh? Word of God. There it goes. Because you're strong and the word of God abides in you. And you've overcome the evil one. How is it that they're able to overcome the word of God? Now, let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in two directions here because I think we got to be careful. When he says the word of God, does he mean just the Bible? Who has John declared Jesus to be? The word. So let's be careful here. And we're going to work. Okay. 
Okay, great. For the sake of the recording, Stuart's asking, how would the re reader understand that? The Word of God, how would they understand that? And because Cliff is a good teacher, he anticipated that ahead of time. <laughs> <Got it. clears throat> Thank you, Stuart. <laughs> and that was not a plant. But yeah, but no, that's a great, that's an important question. Listen now, I, I want to be careful here. <clears throat> um, you know, I love the Bible. And if you know my life story, you know, the Bible's what kept me out of the ditches. Uh, I love God's word. But <clears throat> one of my life verses is also from John. We're going back and forth to the gospel of John here. When, <clears throat> when Jesus has to confront the religious guys. And um, in John 5, 39 to 40. When he says to them, you search the scriptures. That's a good thing. <laughs> because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these, the scriptures, that testify about me, but you won't come to me. Think about that. I, <clears throat> I have in my journal where I read every morning, I read that verse. Because I teach the Bible every day and I love the Bible. I like verbs and I like participles and I like tenses and I like all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I, 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 have in my, I have in my journal there where I say, Cliff, your tendency is not to reject God's word, Jesus, but to replace him with the scriptures. Now, this is tough to do because how do I know about Jesus through the scriptures? It's not, an either or it's not an either or situation, but it is a matter of understanding that I know the scripture, but there's somebody here also that is backing this up. My, my, I'm, I'm learning to do this. I want to recommend it to your, your thought. <clears throat> because of my, ten you may be, my tendency to tear the scriptures apart and look at the verbs and all like that, I'm, I'm trying to practice. This is kind of a spiritual formational practice that as I'm reading the gospels, I'm going to read it and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to imagine what it would be like to be in that story and to hear those thoughts and say, Jesus, I'd like to, I'd like to be there with you. I'm practicing with that. I'm, 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 I'm practicing with that. You, because you meet people sometimes that know the scripture backwards and forwards and are meaner than a rattlesnake. <laughs> and they don't have the spirit of Jesus. <laughs> they got the word of Jesus. But that, and, and so I, I just want to say that when he says, you're strong in the word. I just wrote in here that, that Jesus, or he's this, this idea of strong in the word, Jesus abiding in them. He said, look, the word of God abides in you. That word abide, remember we talked about it means, means remain. That if you look at John 15 forward, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. That, that, that do we live with a sense of the perp, a sense of that the person of Jesus lives in us? I think there have been times when I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not aware of that, just because I'm busy, or sometimes because I'm just thinking it's on the page. So, so this idea of the word. So, so, so let's look at it. How? So he said you've overcome the devil. Well, isn't this exactly what Jesus did? When he overcame the devil in Matthew 4, when he goes into the desert, when the, when the devil comes to tempt him, what did Jesus use? The scriptures, right? The scriptures. If you're really the son of God, make these stones turn into bread. 
And Jesus quotes out of Deuteronomy. It is written, you shall not live by bread. Now, I think this is interesting. You've, you've, you've seen this, but just want to recall, the devil knows the Bible too. He may know it better than we do. The devil then comes right after and thinks, oh, you're a word man, huh? Well, why don't you throw yourself out? Because the Bible says in Psalm 100, throw yourself off here. He'll give your angels charge. Well, if you go read that, that Psalm doesn't have anything to do with that committing suicide or jumping off a bridge. It has to do with God's care for his people. It doesn't mean, now go, go test him. So the devil knows the scripture. He'll use it. He'll bring it back at you and you better be able to say, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what that means. So in the battle here of the devil, we're just doing what Jesus did. The difference is here is that we have within us also the word of God who dwells in us. So do we understand the word in us, not only having the Bible in our memory and our understanding, but the word of God living in us? In us. Augustine, or if you're from England, Augustine. I'm from East Texas, so. Uh, <clears throat> Augustine often said, when you look for God, now he's talking about followers of Jesus. Don't get me hung up on this. This isn't everything about it. But he said, for followers of Jesus, when you look for God, look inside. Quit this. Look inside. He dwells in us. And lives in us. So I, I, I thought about this. I thought, we have to be proficient with Scripture to know how to deal with the evil one when he comes to distort and fight us. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I'm going to suggest three things. And then I've got some resources on your handout. Do I, man, I've got all kinds of stuff here I should have had. What's in that blank? Yeah. I put the blank in there. I got to get some help. <clears throat> I got to get some help. <clears throat> what if you obtained a copy of the screw tape? That's what's supposed to be in there. <clears throat> and read it in the coming month. Now, here's what I ask you <clears throat> about your own journey here of overcoming the evil one, about the word. Let me ask you to consider three things. These are some resources you can go look at later. Number one, if you're going to be strong in the word, I want to ask you to consider this. <clears throat> Read the Bible systematically. Okay, what, what I mean is, is don't jump around. If you want to read the book of Mark, you'll get much more out of it if you read chapter 1 today and tomorrow chapter 2, right? It starts, suddenly starts making lots of sense when you do it that way. Instead of reading Mark 1 today and Psalm 49 tomorrow. This is why it's so jumbled in our thinking. We can't work through. So what I'm suggesting here is, if you want to be strong in one way, so, so read the Bible systematically. Start in the Gospels. Work through them a chapter at a time. Now what you'll discover, if you're not careful, when, when you will discover things, is when you do that, sometimes you're going to get bored. And you may have to just talk to the Lord about that and say, hey, why am I bored here? What's going on with me? Why is it that as I do this, I'm sort of getting bored with this? Well, because maybe we're just too used to having uh, excitable extremes all the time instead of saying, Lord, just guide me as I work through this. Second, study the scriptures. 
This is a shameless plug for our Wednesday night class, but you can come for four more weeks. <laughs> Study the Bible. Now, that's different than reading it. Study it. Now, on this handout here, I've got two books that you might want to think about if you want to study. You really can come on Wednesday night. Uh, we're, we're working through uh, how to study the Bible. We do this every uh, August, September, and every January, February, until Jesus comes back. It's fascinating to me. I'm still on the deal here. I ask my students every semester, and I, I travel around the country, and I ask this question in every church I ever go to. Is it important for people to study the Bible to grow spiritually? And the answer is yes. And then my next question is, where's the class in your church that teaches people how to study the Bible? You know what the answer to that is? Huh? I mean, I'm serious. I've not yet. I've done for the church of, I call it the church to God, but it's the church of God. <laughs> the church of God, I've done the state ministry meeting in Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, Missouri. Was the four, is that four? Okay. I'm not good at math. <clears throat> I'm good at verbs, but not math. I, I've done the state ministers meeting for all those four states, and I've yet to find a church yet that has a class on how to study the Bible. Not yet. I've been teaching for 26 years, and I ask students every semester the same question. And my data shows me 97% of the students have never been taught how to study the Bible. Hey, look, this is not rocket science. This is the shape we're in. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box. But years ago, when somebody said you ought to study the Bible, I had this stupid question. How? And they looked at me like, what? I, I just told you to study. <laughs> no, how? You told me to study. Okay, how, 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 how? Unbelievable. And you would be shocked at the number of people who maybe even be in ministry. So study. Now, again, it's a shameless plug, right? I'm not being beneath that. We'll do it again in January, February. I <clears throat> told the elders one day, I said, look, I don't have the gift of elder, but I'm going to teach this till Jesus comes back if that's gonna, it's what it's going to take. And we've had class where we've had 40 30. We've had a class. We had four, you know, and uh, the first time we taught it, I will tell you this. It was terrible. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. I was like getting a drink out of a fire hydrant. <laughs> you can do it, but it's not fun. <clears throat> I told Chris, I said, man, I, this is, I, I did a terrible, and of course, Chris is so nice. Oh, that was great. No, it wasn't. It was terrible. I know enough. This was terrible. And if any of y'all participated, in, and a couple of you did, I think, it was terrible, right? Anybody? Can I get a witness? Stop. Okay. <clears throat> I'm stopping. <clears throat> I'm stopping. <clears throat> Last one, something people don't do anymore, which I think is, again, and I, and I, and I make my students do it. They're going to fail a test if they don't do it. That's probably not good motivation. Memorize Scripture. Dallas Willard says in his book on spiritual formation, it's more important to memorize scripture than to read it. I don't know if I believe that or not. On your handout there, you know, NavPress, the topical memory system through NavPress, they have several topics that, you know, growing in Christ, you're a new Christian, and they're little cards. You carry them in your pocket. I guess that's where my dad got those. But I remember as a little kid, 
I mean, I've got all kinds. These were more noble than these in Thessalonica in that they studied the scriptures to see if those things were so. That was from nine years of age. Okay? I just, it's in there. Memorize scripture. Why wouldn't you take 1 Corinthians 10, 13 this week? There's no temptation taken, but such as common to man, and God is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able, but with the temptation, make a way of escape that you can bear upon. Why wouldn't you just say, I'm going to memorize that one this week? Now, how do you memorize? We don't have to, my dad had a bad methodology. <clears throat> I've learned since then. Just put it on a card and read it. And then when you get to work, read it. And then when you get stopped at the stoplight, read it. But then go when it turns green. <laughs> I'm sitting there the other day going, you don't like that color green? <laughs> Yeesh. <clears throat> pull, maybe not while you're driving. Don't when you're driving. But, but just look at it. 200 times in a day and read it, funny thing, you'll remember it. <laughs> Instead of sitting at the dinner table, I'm not getting up till I got this. Well, it'll just leak out 10 minutes later. Here's the last thing on this one. Whew, man, I blew this today. Something. Yeah, clarity. <clears throat> clarity. I'm not going to get finished with this, Dick, if you listen to this. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, I, I want to talk about, just for a second, I'm going to let you go. Oh, woo. <clears throat> I got to let you go. There's a point of clarity here that I want to <clears throat> work out next week. Whew. I want <clears throat> to suggest that it's interesting here that um, John uses the word world. Don't love the world. Now, the funny thing is this word cosmos has three different meanings, really, in the New Testament. One of them is the planet. Uh, for, in John 1, 19, it says, and Jesus coming into the world, enlightening every man, coming into the world. That's just the planet. Or <clears throat> it's the population of the planet. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But it's also <clears throat> a system that is contrary to and in opposition to God. Now I've got an idea I want to <clears throat> I'm going to work out over the next uh, next Sunday. I didn't say next couple of weeks, please don't do that. <laughs> but <clears throat> but I, <clears throat> I I think this sounds harsh. And, <clears throat> and I just want to drop something in your brain for you to think about. John is saying don't love the world cuz it's passing away, man. You, you you're hooked up to the wrong wagon here. And as I was working through this, and Dick and I were talking about this, I want you to consider this for next week. That this sounds harsh if we have this idea. I've heard and people I respect, people I love, people I've read that want to make this distinction. That God wants to make you holy, not, heard it, happy. Which I think is absolutely a heresy. 
I think we've got our love life so goofed up that we don't realize that holiness is the greatest happiness. That the Westminster Catechism says, what is the purpose of man? To know God and enjoy Him forever. This sounds harsh because our love life is goofed up. And we've bought into the lie. Well, God wants you holy, not happy. When I hear that, it makes my skin crawl. Because it makes me think that the real opportunity to serve and follow Jesus is good for you. You won't go to hell, but you'll be miserable while you're doing it. <laughs> we, we've got to get this cleaned up. <clears throat> we've got to get this cleaned up. That, that it's not holiness or happiness. John is saying, look, I want you <clears throat> to love the right thing. And in that, I want you to find true happiness. We got to work on that. It's interesting here <clears throat> that this idea seems harsh because we think, well, man, I, you know, I want that new car. I want that. Listen, that isn't going to bring you happiness. We know that already, don't we? You can buy a car, you can buy a house, and then all you got to do is take care of them. That doesn't bring happiness. I told Becky the other day, something happened in the house. I said, I'm calling our manager. She goes, you are the manager. <clears throat> I'm not a good one. I want to live in an apartment again. Come fix your air conditioner, man. I mean, listen, it's okay to have those. Listen, I'm not saying that. I'm not, <clears throat> we'll, we'll look at another passage that talks about enjoying those things. But we got this all goofed up. We just think God wants us holy and not happy. Mary Jo and I were talking about something like there's another <clears throat> heresy that <clears throat> I've been a part of. Don't ever listen to your feelings. <clears throat> well, don't be driven by them. But your feelings are telling you something. You've got a goofed up idea that you need to get corrected. Or you're believing something that isn't true. The, these things that kind of work us in these extremes... And so John says, don't love the world. It's passing away. What you, what, what you need is something that can actually sustain you. So the <clears throat> Westminster Catechism says, love God and enjoy Him forever. I'm going to tell you why that's important next week, I think. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yep. So here's what I want you to think about this week. Number one, <clears throat> how can you get stronger in the Word? I mean, the Scriptures... <clears throat> And how can you get stronger in the word of knowing that the word, Jesus, lives in you? You've got him with you all the time. He's your abiding friend. In fact, one guy said it this way. Christostom said that prayer, think about prayer. Prayer is just friendship with God. Quit making it a list. Quit making it a duty. <clears throat> Quit making it a job. And just realize that prayer is friendship with God. Hey, hey, I want to talk to you. I, mean, I got friends. I just call up and go, what are you doing? They go, none of your business. And I say, okay. <laughs> Some guy calls me out saying, what are you doing? I say, can't tell you. Can't tell you. But I'll just call up just to jabber for a couple of, just to kind of connect. Say, what, that's this idea of being strong in that Jesus is. So, so how can you be strong in that? Second, second in this idea, uh, strong in the word. How about getting Lewis's book? And just begin to read and see some of the brilliance that he has 
about these tactics of how that you might. Have. I tell you, he helped me with my prayer life in ways nobody ever else had. He, he, he helped me understand some things. I thought, oh, this guy is so smart. And then when we come back next week, I want you to think about this. Is, is holiness really happiness to you? Or is it galling and teeth grinding and difficult? Or is loving the Father what brings real happiness? Real happiness. That's going to be important for us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so blessed by you, by your word that is scripture, by your word that is presence. So help us. <clears throat> we want to live this authentic life. We want our lives to matter, to count, to be part of your great kingdom and reach. So we're here. We're open. Guide us, direct us, and help us. Jesus, strong name. Amen.